1: what's good man what's up dude episode Welcome. 27 is it 27 we had two 25s yeah that's how we roll dude 25 25 27 it was like a hotel with a 13 i was just floor. gonna make that <laughs> joke we're so similar people in the comments have mentioned that that we don't ever disagree that with we're one very another. similar yeah yeah sometimes a, we disagree but it's a
2: problem it's a bit of an echo chamber
1: <laughs> yeah well i'm a flip flopper that's the thing if you're beating me in an argument i'll just switch to your point of view yeah well we also this is why i would like to to have people call in. So yeah. if you want to
2: call in and discuss anything that we talked about on any previous episode, you disagree. I see a lot of people because I I talked about free will at length once. And now I just casually mention it as if you've seen every episode that yeah. I and don't believe in free will. And people are like, how do you just say that? Yeah, yeah. how <laughs> do you just not, throw that away? And then not follow it up. I'll have to do a, a clip on it so that I'm not repeating
1: myself. I it. think our audience, though, is still going to be fairly intelligent, probably around our 20s and 30s age. Let's get some neo Nazis to call in. You and know just what I mean. Like, Let's, what get X, yeah. Let's get some X. Let's get some XKKK members. Yeah. That, so there was a guy who on a
2: TED talk. I don't know if you saw his TED talk. I forget his name. I think it was Daryl something. He's a black man who befriended a grand dragon. I think they're called of the KKK. Did you oh ever no, see it? you're talking about the reporter. Story's no, incredible. He, uh, is he a reporter? He's just a, he's a guy. There was, I
1: thought. A, there was a reporter who wanted to do an article and befriended the grand master of the KKK mm-hmm. or whatever, and. It starts by the guys like, I hate you, but I'll give you the story or whatever. Yeah. And then they hang out and they hang out and they hang out. And then by the end, the grandmaster KKK is, says, I still hate black people, but this guy's cool. Uh-huh. He's cool by me. And you're like, well, wait, why do you still hate? Like, yeah. this guy, he's, haven't you learned they're all just people? He's like, no, I still hold to my KKK values, but I absolutely in my heart make an exception for this guy who so, I like. So I think it's the same guy. I, I don't know what the ultimate result of
2: this guy's personal transformation was but he did leave the kkk this particular guy oh he, really he gave him his robe and at the end it's a powerful moment in the ted talk he opens this closet that he has and he holds up this guy's KKK. oh wow I must have gotten it mid-story yeah well or it could be could have been a different person fascinating but yeah so so interesting and the guy You got to give him all the credit in the world because he shows up to a hostile environment. Oh, yeah. He shows up. He said he thought he was going to get shot the first interview that he ever did with this guy because he had like a bodyguard with him. And he was not pleased. He thought he was just going to be a normal reporter. And it turns out that he's a black guy who he hates. Right. And so he thought he was going to get shot. And then they talked again. And then he invited him to his house. And then after a while, he felt comfortable in his house. So anyways, call in. We'll make friends with everybody. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, So here's what I got this week.
1: Not a ton. By the way, we're going to two maybe... Oh yeah, we should have said that. Yeah, we should lock that in. We're going to try to do two podcasts a week from now on. So Mm -hmm. hopefully one will release on Tuesday and one will release on Friday. Yes. And we're working on times and all that stuff. We'll we'll hammer that out. If
2: you feel the quality dips, let us know. (laughs) We'll go to once a week. But normally I get to read a lot and I get to read half as much, basically. And this week we've been working a lot on business, so I haven't gotten as much free time. But... Related to business, one thing that, that I've thought about and I've seen over and over and, and we're trying to do right now is that there was an H3 podcast clip that caught my eye and it was about Ninja. And they show his Twitch growth. This is even yeah. before he left for Mixer. And it it has this hockey stick par- parabolic growth. yeah, Dude, and then it goes down. Yeah, yeah. And it goes down a lot. And this is months before Mixer comes out. And then, of course, he makes this move to Mixer. But his average... Views are still incredible. He's one of the most viewed people out there, but nowhere near his peak. Uh, and you look at a number of other people over the history of YouTube and these things, and this is very common. You get this explosive growth. You keep doing the same thing, and doing the same thing no longer gets you the same results. Mm-hmm. It's like the inverse of what that insanity rule is. Some are trying to get in here. <laughs> no, no, I'm, just, I'm just bribing with treats. she will be fine. This is like a normal child. You just Down. gotta give him treats. Okay, please, please let the adults talk now. Okay, yeah, but good girl. In any event, it made me, uh, it made me think about our channel. It yeah. made me think about what we have to do. When I, if you do not reinvent yourself in the entertainment world or in the even in the info world, right, you're, you're done after three years. Yeah, yeah. Like we could keep making breakdowns that are of top notch quality. But if they're not different in some material way, I yeah. actually wouldn't expect our channel to grow at the same rate, and, uh, and it wouldn't get smaller necessarily. But it would—the acceleration would slow down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in some ways, we've we've seen it in the last month. So month to month, you can never tell. But we just—we got to keep reinventing, man. We're Hannah Montana when <laughs> it's time for us to become Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I don't know that story at well, all. You're just gonna have to run with it. Yeah. You're just gonna have to trust me but yeah and shave then, your head it's time for a tongue uh, ring that's yeah. what i'm saying so i i want to figure out how one knows what things to go into and i think the best person to study is pewdiepie so at some point yeah, in the next in the next couple weeks i'm going to go look at his video history which is going to be mountainous and mm. see how and why and when he decided to make the changes that he made i think a huge part of it is following what he's interested in at any given time but also with an ear to the audience so i'm not i'm not totally sure i don't know if you have any thoughts on that
1: did h3 say that they had seen something similar like when ninja was saying this this was my growth this was my drop did they say oh yeah that happened to us too
2: no he so it wasn't actually an interview they were just looking at his twitch dashboard essentially of his stats and then they made the connection to PewDiePie. They're like, you know who's done, who hasn't done this? Yeah. PewDiePie, who just had his biggest month ever. Like okay. it's it's incredible after all that time that he's still, yeah he does he he does things that are wildly successful and gets out. He's got impeccable timing with his transitions. Okay. Uh, so something that we could learn from, and maybe this podcast can be the beginning of something for yeah, us. Yeah. What else? So I'm reading this book. I just started it, so I can't I can't tell you too much. It's called The Ecology of Commerce. Okay. And it's on it was apparently one of the nineteen nineties big books that really pushed the the green movement that that started making some big business leaders pay attention. And this guy was an established author. He'd written two business books. He'd received in the introduction, he says, I've received over two hundred reviews for my books from Forbes, et cetera, et cetera. I wrote this book, I know the editor. They would not publish a review. I got one review of this book published when I when I released it. And I'm an established author because this book, The Ecology of Commerce, talks about how business pollutes, how business does, you know, all these sorts oh, of things. Fascinating. Dude, could couldn't even get him to review it and say it was wrong or we disagree with this. Would not publish it. All of the business publications just said you don't exist. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And then uh, it did go on to become a bestseller and eventually it might have received the reviews, but he said, I got one review for this book after having had 200 in my career yeah. with two books prior to this. And that that made me think a lot about the business model.
1: Corporations are weird, man. They're, they're, they have their own intelligence. And we talk about this a lot. There can be an mm-hmm. organization with no evil people, but it, the corporation does evil things. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes sentient. Mm-hmm. Like these book publishers... They just have a sense that if this book comes out, it's going to slam them in some sense. Yeah. And they want to survive. Book reviewers. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Well, it it, yeah, I guess I think what it is is that you have to understand the business model of Forbes and all these other people. Yeah. And they're advertiser-run businesses, and the people who are advertising on Forbes might be Procter & Gamble, might be these massive corporations, which may be called out by name in this book. And so even looking at the book and saying that it exists, is she having
1: a hard time over here? No, I don't know. She's just like... It's probably because I'm not telling her to lay down or something. She's worse than normal. Yeah, she's she's eager. You can just ignore her though. It okay. takes none of my mental energy to stiff armor her away. Got it. I didn't know if you were having no, a hard No, no. You have uh, 100% of my focus. This is, very, <laughs> this is thoughtless. I can just kind of paw her away. Got it. it. So, uh, no, it made me
2: think about the business model of different things and how they all have different goals. And so I, I was just curious. I was interested in how different business models of the things that i interact with have a predictable outcome so if you're reading forbes expect to get a pro business thing because they're an advertiser model and they're paid for by businesses that have their own interests in mind uh and so i kind of went through it and i realized because i was just curious how this is impacting my own life that a ton of the anxiety anger fear and we've talked about the news is uh by design baked into the business model of a lot of the things that I consume. So I was I wrote, you know, the biggest one is news. The the benefit of me being anxious, fearful, or angry when I read the news is that I will A, click the title, which I find myself doing. Yeah. And then B, tell everyone about it so that they click the title so that they sure. get more eyeballs and more advertiser dollars. And it just goes, what is the benefit to the news if I read an
1: article and go, uh, interesting that makes me feel content yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> then... well people there was a study right people are very unlikely to share something that makes them happy yeah. although they might share something that makes them feel let's say like motivated mm-hmm. but not as likely as if it makes them sad and the number one thing yeah. they will share is if it makes them angry yeah they've done studies on this so yeah, if yeah. you want to go viral the number one thing you can do is incense people so and there's... ideally not at you but at a target that isn't you. Yeah. That's your number one way to be viral. It's just to go, okay, I'm Ben. So the best thing I can do is make people really, really pissed at someone that's not Ben. Mm-hmm. And then everyone will share it in their rage, yeah. in their outrage. That
2: was in Trust Me, I'm Lying. Uh, if anybody's interested, it's by Ryan Holiday. And he, he was worked in media and then talked about some of the biases that are built into the news filter. But uh, it made me think of that. And then I was curious. I was like, okay, if I go to a massage, they want me to feel relaxed. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Like, (laughs) I feel good when I go there. Uh, What does Facebook want from me? I think Facebook wants me to be bored and mindless is kind of what Facebook wants from me. And also close to my credit card. Like, what what state of mind is it good when you're in Facebook? Is is it good when you're highly engaged? I guess to a degree, but they kind of need you
1: not – thinking too much yeah i mean i i'm trying to think through this live what they want is tiny tiny attention grabbing dopamine spikes mm-hmm. right and then they want you to so they don't want you to just watch one video they want you to watch one video but then want to keep scrolling and that's forever. facebook scroll and, and i don't know what what emotion creates that uh dopamine is good one but also the we
2: they switched for instance on instagram it used to be the chronological timeline yeah and for even for frequent viewers when you hit the bottom you knew and you were done now that they've mixed up the chronology there's a sense that it goes forever Mm -hmm. right so they want the sense of uh perpetualness the ever-loading newsfeed like you could just do it mindlessly forever and ever and ever uh and so yeah and and again that
1: that well, it's funny. Yeah. When you open Instagram, you should know Instagram's goal is to keep you there forever. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the thing people do a lot. They're like, oh, I'm just going to open up my phone while I'm going to the bathroom. You know, mm-hmm. this will be two minutes <laughs> and then 20 <laughs> minutes later. It's like, dude, you went to the bathroom for two minutes and you just sat on a toilet <laughs> for 18 minutes. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I think it's a really common experience. Yeah. And that's because that's what Instagram wants. It's not trying to make you happy. It's not trying to make you connected to your friends. Yeah. It's trying to make you stay on Instagram. That's Instagram's number one goal. There's
2: been times where for whatever reason I was having the hankering to look at my Instagram. And so I excused myself to go to the bathroom when I was with other people Mm. and then sat there for an extended period of time to get as much as I could before having to go back to socializing again. I think it's fair to say if you've
1: ever gone to the bathroom (laughs) and your legs have fallen asleep, something's (laughs) gone awry. That is not a standard human biology thing. If you just were (laughs) phoneless, you'd be up before the tingles. Well, they say you're
2: supposed to squat. Yeah, yeah that's i've heard i for i don't want to uh claim knowledge where i don't but f- people who are into physical fitness saying that you're supposed to have the squatty potty and it yeah, can yeah, cause, yeah like issues if have you, you ever
1: tried it it's a very weird experience It is. <laughs> it feels weird yeah if you've never done it before because it makes you put your legs up on your a, knees a, get above your, your you're hip. on like a step yeah. stool yeah and so you're just kind of sitting you're like you're giving birth almost <laughs> yeah. it's a very bizarre position i'm sure it feels natural after time but i don't own one and so if i've ever been at a friend's house i'm like oh i'll try this and I'm like, maybe this is easier, but it feels really weird. It feels highly uncomfortable. But yeah,
2: So it, it, it and all of these things mirror my experience with all of these particular products, yeah. right? So I do feel relaxed in a spot, which is what they want. And I do feel uh, anxious when I
1: read the news or angry when I read yeah, the news. Yeah, and, and I'm and sure it, when you do go to Instagram or Reddit or something, what you feel is that you're coming out of a blackout. Mindless go, blackouts, yeah. You, I mean, yeah, we've all had it. You just go, oh my God, what? It's one twenty. It was 1 o'clock when I opened this.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think even there's you know I was thinking about our own business and the same operative principle is at work in our business there's times where I've I've made videos that I think are more actionable that have advice that is if you applied this better but it's not as catchy or interesting mm-hmm. and it doesn't create that dopamine spike and there's some of the lowest viewed videos that we have when they're like the most powerful if you would just do what i'm saying and then our highest viewed videos I sometimes have good advice i try to put good advice in all of them but i the the thing that makes them the highest viewed videos is that they feel yeah. like they could be interesting no, more than
1: you do this and it'll
2: instantly happen
1: for yeah. you no and i love when people come up to us and they're like yo your videos changed my life mm-hmm. because of you i have a person person i'm dating or a raise or whatever i love that but when people come up to me and they go yo i love your videos i binge watch 12 at a time yeah. i also love that <laughs> so there is even in my brain it's yeah. like i want this to help everyone truly But I'm also very happy when people just sit down for an hour and a half and only watch Charisma on Command videos. I'm like, oh, that also makes me happy. Totally. So I have the dual carrots. And 12 Charisma
2: on Command videos in a row is not better than one in terms of improving your life. In fact, I could argue that it's worse because instead of doing the thing and writing it down and implementing it, you turned it into entertainment. You turned it into the mindless thing, which I am incentivized
1: to create, allow, and push and YouTube. It pays me for it, right? Yeah, the best thing you could do is watch one, no more than one a day, mm-hmm. and then write down the action steps from the video, and then do them for one, two, seven days until yeah. you felt like it was a habit, and then go consume the next video Exactly. when you had the first video handled. Yeah. But... I would bet it's a very small minority of people that consume anything on YouTube like that. Yeah, and this is the problem with everything that is an advertiser-driven platform, which
2: is you, the consumer, become the product. Yeah, you are not the person who we are. You know, we all say, "Oh, the end user, try to serve them." It's like, no, you're the product which YouTube sells to advertisers. So, yeah. capturing your attention is is what you're what we're there to do, uh, in whatever way that that person's morality deems possible right and the YouTube algorithm will then of course emphasize the ones that are the most effective pretty much well somewhat irrespective morality they obviously have their own rules in terms of service and you can't show the headings and things like that
1: but I've actually so I interviewed a bunch of charisma university students because I was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what to create next and funny enough the two biggest benefits no one said that the benefit of charisma university is that the content was 10 times better than Mm -hmm. the free stuff what people said was one actually investing money made them do it because when you watch YouTube, you're oh I watch twelve YouTube videos for free. No incentive. But yeah. when they pay six hundred dollars, they go, Oh, I'm gonna do this. And the second one is that it gives them an explicit schedule. Yeah. Of do this today, do this today, do this today, do this today. And those are the two biggest benefits people got. Not the fact that it's this weirdly uh unique content itself, you know, yeah. which I think I think that kind of speaks to the fact that on YouTube people aren't incentivized to do that you know these people are like stoked that they paid for something yeah. that gives them that makes them take action which i think kind of tells you that when you aren't investing you're not taking action yeah. you're just you're just consuming
2: well beyond investing it's also I, don't, I can't think of a single youtube video where i say stop watching and do this. Yeah, I mean, like I, I say it at the end, but then the pop up goes,
1: "Watch next," you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. subscribe. Dude, like the all the calls to well, no action. matter what you say, <laughs> literally no matter what you say. As soon as the video ends, sixteen videos are gonna pop exactly. up. Exactly,
2: and there is one video that's procrastination. Which video? Where I like do a heartfelt plea to okay, this is about procrastination. Go yeah. do your homework. Go do that thing. Go for a run. Whatever. Did that it is. video get a lot of
1: views? No, because yeah. it's it, it can't. YouTube the most, will bury it
2: exactly, and that's, weirdly enough, telling people to stop watching, stop consuming, and start integrating is one of the most valuable things you can do. But it's not what
1: the business model serves. So it just, we... Yeah, YouTube looks, if you watch a video all the way through to the end, Mm -hmm. give it a like, leave it a comment, and then exit YouTube, Mm -hmm. YouTube goes, don't show that to anyone. Yes. But it's great. It's got all 100% upvotes. Everybody loves it. Everybody watches to the very last minute. But then they exit. Yeah bury that
2: yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's unfortunate and it and it's i think businesses can be an amazing thing but i i increasingly when i look at something i'm asking what emotion is someone profiting from with this particular Mm. thing right and you can guess it if you step back. And then when you look at the news, you go, Of course, I'm angry. You know, right. of, course, <laughs> of course, this is enrages me. Of course, you know, you go to the spa and you go, Of course, I feel relaxed, right? Like, depending on the business model, you can predict particular emotions. And uh, it, it, Makes me think, and it makes me think how we want to structure our business models because we certainly do are somewhat advertiser driven on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. not our main source of income. If it was, you would expect more of our content to push more towards the binge thing, which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, or to disappear because it wasn't doing that effectively. Yeah. Uh, right now, our business can run because we have Charisma University, which is the purchase thing, but. Yeah, just I'm, it makes me highly skeptical of
1: anything that is advertiser driven, which includes TV, the internet, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, people really like that we're not advertiser driven. If we sometimes we have videos that are like nine minutes and fifty-seven seconds, and yeah. we just don't slap on another four seconds. People mm-hmm. are like, "Thank you so much for that." Yeah, sometimes nobody nobody cares. We get no <laughs> no people write in. They yeah. notice. I don't notice. I
2: want you to pack this podcast, Angel, full of five ads, <laughs> seventeen ads, one every six minutes. We need an ad. Uh, but just, yeah, it's just something to, to consider. And we, on an individual level, can resist it to a degree, but recognizing that the overall business model has a a powerful effect. So the best thing that we can do to shape our own contribution to what might be an immoral system is to restructure the system of how we earn money and all those sorts of things to try yeah. to make it more in line
1: with, with stuff that's good for people you know it is funny though i know a couple youtubers who are artists first rather than business people yeah and they try really hard i'm not gonna have any ads i'm not gonna have any sponsors and they end up not being able to produce as much content because mm-hmm. they don't have any money mm-hmm. and inevitably they get this this torn feeling of i can't afford an editor i can't really afford anything nice equipment wise and so my content is suffering. But I don't want to have to can, like, be part of this economic yeah. system. Yeah. And some of them choose to keep making art that not a lot of people see. And some people choose to run ads so they can actually create what people want. But it's a weird thing because what the fans of those people would like is more videos. Yeah. They're actually, I think, fine watching a 10-second ad. And it's that's a mental hurdle that these artists struggle with. Is, oh, I don't want to have any ads on my art. Mm-hmm. okay well now you don't have an editor you make a video once a month and you're really stressed for money mm-hmm. and i don't have a right or wrong but i just it just makes me think yet at, a, at a, zooming
2: out to the world there's there's two ways that people think about changing the world one is through revolution which is where you you upset the entire system you mm-hmm. do not play by the rules and the other is by participating and you know getting elected or becoming a head of business and then once you achieve power within a system trying to change it and there's drawbacks
1: clearly to, to I both think, of them i think the second one is tough because yeah. in order to rise to the top you have to be in the system mm-hmm. for 10 plus years and it yeah. and you get brainwashed yeah. so by the time you get to the top i think you've lost a lot of your revolutionary ideas even if you have innovative ideas mm-hmm. i think you lose your i'm gonna overthrow the system if you don't you don't make it all the way to the top sure you know what i mean then you're you can rise to middle manager but yeah in order to become the ceo You almost have to get brainwashed by the organization. Yeah, I can't. Very few CEOs out there go, now that I've made it to
2: CEO position or chairman of the board, I'm going to shut this business down because what we do is unethical. (laughs) You know, you imagine someone going and working at Philip Morris or something and hating cigarettes for 50 years.
1: Monsanto. Finally. Deep undercover agent.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And so, yeah, by the time Noam Chomsky talks about this in Manufactured Consent that there are these structural filters that stop you at your first promotion you're not Mm going to get promoted you're not going to join the business and by the time you you've achieved the top they didn't have to brainwash you they just put a filter on that only a certain type of person could even squeeze through right uh so yeah there was there was also i haven't pieced this thought together in my brain so it might not make a ton of sense i was reading another book by the guy who worked at a just put this out Andreessen horowitz is it ben horowitz i don't know who that is he's a vc guy and he did a book on culture and he talks about the haitian slave revolution which is really interesting because in all of history if you look at slave revolts, there's only been one that was successful in the sense that it lasted and and they created a country basically which was haiti uh and it was this guy who was a fairly well-educated slave and he did, he played within the system, honestly. And one of the biggest things, and I don't know if Ben Horowitz does the full historical breakdown, but this is his, his perspective on it, is that he comes up and he institutes all these rules that nobody you think in his position would ever do, which is, despite the fact that he's been a slave and all of his, his compatriots have been slaves, he uh stops people from taking vengeance he explicitly says you cannot cheat on your wife so that he can stop people from raping and pillaging and looting and all those sorts of things Mm. because he doesn't want that he incorporates uh the defeated soldiers into his own army which you think is crazy so now he's got like white generals that used to be slave owners that are his his subordinates in Mm. this case uh but through whatever force of character luck uh strategy this worked out for a long time. Now, eventually, he was betrayed by one of his other friends, sent back to Italy, or Italy, sent back to France, and died in jail. But the majority of the cause lived, and Haiti still had problems after that, but it was a successful slave revolution. So does make me wonder, uh, maybe it is coming up in the system and, and... You want to overthrow YouTube by becoming YouTube CEO? No, no. I, I would, The system that I am talking about is the consumerist <laughs> system, is, is that uh, dollars drive everything right Mm -hmm. right wherever there is profit to me you can predict how an organism or an organization will will function that's you just tell me your business model i'll tell you how you operate i don't need to know about your personal ethics because they they don't matter (laughs) as much as where you make money uh and that's it seems like okay what can we do we can try to completely disrupt the global economy and throw dollars out or you can find a way to make this more concrete because that's a little bit uh vague sure Okay, so the world has problems. Mm-hmm. People, for instance, on YouTube are watching mindless content, and they're not engaging with the problems in a big way. And the con- and the problems that they do engage with on the news are these things that are sensationalist, entitled to make you angry and all that sorts of things. How do you change that? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one hand, you could advocate a spiritual revolution. Everybody meditate. Forget everybody. Get off YouTube. Log off. Disconnect completely. Push that to the side and we're going to start a whole new brand new system based on uh, meditation spirituality and Mm. sharing that's that's the revolution or you could become a famous youtuber Mm. and you can advocate for degrees of change which is kind of what we do right we say you know maybe log don't use as much instagram or like maybe donate a little bit more to charity or only watch us only watch us right uh and we that's that is the tension that i think I think about sometimes when it comes to having an impact on the world. Ultimately, the best thing would be for people to uh, not be in a state of anxiety and feeling unwhole because some ad is going to give them what they need when they buy Gucci or Jeep, mm-hmm. and and they watch my video and then a Jeep ad comes on and they go, "Oh my God, I'd be so cool if I had that Jeep," which is not how I want them to feel, yeah. right? But here I am taking advertiser dollars from Jeep, which is contributing to that whole system, so I could. Opt out completely and go, I'm not going to participate, and then teach in a small room meditation for 10 people to learn how to disconnect from consumerist society. Or I could take Jeep's money, build a big YouTube channel, get a louder voice but have a limited range of of what I can say because I'm still part of this platform. What I can say effectively. I can say whatever I want, but it's not going to be persuasive Even yeah. where it is. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I don't know if you have – you're looking at me like I'm crazy. No, no, I, I agree. I
1: just, it's just like, yeah, that's that is, that is a fact. Right? Almost. Well, like what do we do? Fact. Do we do we do we leave? Do we drop out? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because then <laughs> we stay. No, no, no. Well, because people are still going to get on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So if you if you quit, then there's just more likely to watch something that's completely mindless.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you that's what I mean?
1: yeah, that's the argument for working within the system is make it better by degrees. Yeah. I also think we I mean I find that YouTube it can be extremely helpful if you're on there to learn. Sure. The problem is what what you get on YouTube to do can get subverted by YouTube's intentions for you. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if I want to learn how to train my dog, YouTube's been the most valuable tool for me. Yeah. The problem is when I watch, I'm trying to teach her how to heal when we go on a walk. If I watch a video on how to heal when I when we walk, And the next one is about some trick that I have no interest in, but looks cool, right? How to get her to jump off your back and catch a Frisbee. And I watch that. (laughs) Now my original good intention and the good 10 minutes I spent learning something gets subverted by this thing. That's purely entertainment and actually makes me forget what I just watched. Yeah. So weirdly it's, it's YouTube could be blamed, but also my own attention span could be blamed, Mm -hmm. which they're trying aggressively to take advantage of, Mm -hmm. but that's, kind of my fault too if i just went on searched something blocked my my homepage, watched one video and then left i'd be better off for it you Mm -hmm. know it's not a purely destructive thing no no i'm glad you said that because i probably just sounded
2: like i'm a luddite and i hate technology and and that's not at all how i feel at all i'm glad that you said that there's tons of incredibly valuable things that come out of all of these platforms Uh, so i'll leave it at that for now i don't know if anybody wants to chime in did you have anything that you wanted to bring? I only have, I think, one more. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let me,
1: let me get my phone out. Well, I'll go while you while you prep your phone. No, oh, it's all good. I have the article pulled up right here. Okay. So I just thought this was interesting. I had a couple takeaways from this, but I don't know how I got to this. I, I literally have no idea how I got to this, but uh, there's an article from a while ago. NASA gave spiders a bunch of drugs, and the webs they spun are amazing. <laughs> and the very first experiment from 1948 was on caffeine. I saw these. And uh, we'll have, I'll send this to Angel, but take a look. The one on the left is a healthy spider, and the one on the right is a caffeinated spider. (laughs) And it's a disaster, right? Angel, we'll have you pull this up on screen. And I thought that was so fascinating because caffeine is the drug of choice for the workplace, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting. And we can talk about the other stuff in the article, but I was just amazed how badly our own self-perception of our performance can miss. Because there's another study that James Clear is a friend of mine. He's a great. He has a great blog. I recommend people check it out. And he talks about sleep deprivation. And they do a sleep deprivation study. And I've seen this in life. You're talking to someone who sleeps four hours a day, and you go, "Wow, how does that not affect your performance?" You go, mm-hmm. "Oh, I don't need it. I just don't need sleep. I'm a, I'm a beast. I can crush it on four hours." And the sleep study shows that that's exactly what sleep deprived people feel mm-hmm. as they bomb tests. Yeah, yeah. So they have people who are well well-rested, take these objective tests, math, whatever it might be, pattern recognition. Then they sleep deprive them for a week and they have them take a similar difficulty test that they have a control group take and they score about the same thing. Their scores plummet. And they ask them afterwards, how do you think you did? And they're like, oh, fine. Thought that went great. It's like, you just bombed this and have no idea. Yeah. And this caffeine spider thing makes me realize coffee might be the same way. And I don't know, because obviously they're spiders. Yeah, that was, that was going <laughs> to be what I was going to say. No, but I mean... <laughs> It's not hard for me to believe. I've seen people who are all jacked up on yeah. coffee and they think they're fine, but their brain is scattered. They're they're incapable of doing one thing for a long period of time at a high level. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because the whole workplace in the U.S. is highly caffeinated and it might be a performance-destroying drug. Sure. Well, I, I I think I agree with your conclusion. I find the,
2: the spider evidence uh, wanting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and for the reason that ketamine in a horse versus ketamine in a human you know like
1: the sleep study was
2: done on humans yes it wasn't done on mice but uh, to your point of caffeine potentially uh, hurting performance i think that's that's very possible except for athletic performance especially well well whether it does or doesn't i think what we what you can probably fairly easily guess is that a limited amount of sleep plus caffeine in order to make up for it is not as good as just getting the same night's sleep like eight hours of sleep mm-hmm. to be to be well rested especially at. not long term and you the problem pull it off for a week i actually bumped into a guy it was so it's funny you say this the other day he was saying oh man i was up late doing this thing last night but you know i just got my first coffee and like here yeah. like here we go and perhaps the ability to rely on coffee to know that okay in the morning yeah i can get a i can get coffee and i can make it through my day hurts people because if they didn't have that option, they go, "Oh well, it's time to go to bed." And I don't have a backup plan. Yeah. My backup plan is be miserable at
1: work tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I don't. By the way, I'm not here to point fingers. I'm literally running on espresso as we speak, yeah. <laughs> and I knew I was going to bring this up on the podcast. So I'm not here to point fingers. I never got into coffee. I'm just here to share. You know what's funny? I never got into coffee in investment banking. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, I was sleeping from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. Every day and just going, I'm not going to do caffeine. Yeah. I have no idea when I had my first coffee. Probably in Brazil. Because, so I I lived in Costa Rica. Everyone there, we all moved to Brazil and Henry would go down every day. And I bet bet you did the same. I do purposely not have it every day. Because a very good friend of mine in college was a caffeine addict. Yeah. And he would fill a 7-Up Slurpee-sized thing with coffee, basically. It's absolutely insane. It's like, what is this? This is... 16 ounces, probably 32 ounces of coffee. Oh, my God. Every morning. And that was how he operated. And then when I was working in private equity, a friend of mine would do four or five Red Bulls a day, every day. And we're like, this is going to kill you. This is not even coffee. This is poison. So he stopped and had horrible withdrawal. Yeah. Just like the shakes. He would sweat. He looked terrible. (laughs) He lasted three days before he went back to Red Bull. He went back. He went, dude, I know this is going to give me a heart attack. That's not a joke, by the way. Our boss Mm -hmm. had a heart attack at 40. He's like, I know this is going to give me a heart attack, and I'm only 23 years old, but I cannot function oh without gosh. it. So even though I do now drink coffee, I make sure like two or three times a week because I'm terrified of becoming a caffeine addict. Yeah. Well, dude, so I want to, it's an interesting segue because
2: this book has a quote that is, that it asks the price of what you get, right? So this guy is an investment banker. He's making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. and. What he might calculate is, "Oh, I put my time in, I get my money." But what he's not calculating is that if you didn't have this job, you wouldn't be addicted to Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Your health would last. So, really, how much are you making when you subtract the later life costs? Even just quantify them in terms of hospital visits. Quality of life.
1: Don't even worry about money.
2: Money, you're going to come out ahead. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're going to die at 60. So, so there was—I uh, forget what it's called. It's Upton Sinclair. Sinclair had it. It's called like the the suit trade-off. I forget exactly what it is, but the, it's the idea that. You get this job,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it pays you a lot of money. And in order to maintain that job, you got to get a nice suit. Yeah. <laughs> in order to, you know, you got to get that suit tailored, and then you got to get the nice haircut, and then you got to get the nice shoes. And by the time you subtract what you have to put into that job, yeah. you're you're not out as far ahead as you thought you were. So this one guy, I, this was a, it's an older book. It was in the 90s, and this is for the average American. Allegedly, these stats might not add up, but it's just an interesting consideration. Yeah. He says that the average American spends uh, on their car working to pay for it, driving in it, maintaining it 1,600 hours uh, apparently a year, which Mm -hmm. is what it costs for them to to maintain their car. And if you take the miles that they drive and you do the division, that averages out to a speed if they were just to, instead of working on it, walk, bike, etc. They're moving at about five miles an hour. (laughs) I think this is probably – no longer the case. What it is, might – so the cost of cars might have gone down, but you're also – It applies somewhere, you're saying. You're not considering the average American. You're considering your friends who work at a higher hourly rate. Consider someone who makes a much lower hourly no, rate. No, but how many hours does it say you work on a car a year? That's the part I'm well, sure. Well, it's like not that. work on 1,600 in driving it to to pay for it to maintain it. So the big ones are driving it and uh, and paying for it. So again, you can – the numbers may or may not be true. But the point is that nobody factors in what it costs to have the car, yeah. right? What, what it costs and not just money, like in time. Well, in L.A. you do, actually. I know yeah. a lot
1: of people are like, I'm going to Uber so I don't have to find a parking spot. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that's a half hour, <laughs> you know? Okay. L.A. parking completely changes the calculus. People really do. Yeah. They go, all right, yeah. Are you going to drive or are you going to Uber? I'm going to Uber because I don't want to spend 20 minutes trying to mm-hmm. find a parking spot. Yeah. so that math people people are smart enough to get into
2: and that particular math might not be true then or any longer now but the the question of what does your work take from you mm-hmm. and we often don't add it up or do the division and say man it, like if i just didn't want to have a bmw i could i could cut three days a week yeah, off yeah. Of, <laughs> well my you God. and i
1: well let's, let's make i think people might find this interesting. you and i just had this conversation right because you're a little bit more... You're more of a truth-seeking, enlightened person. I'm a little bit more of a hedonist. A little bit. Uh, and we were talking about what our ideals are for work. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I want to focus much more on the podcast because I find it to be super intellectually stimulating. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, a good area for growth. And Charisma on Command is doing well. And the only reason to focus on Charisma on Command is in an effort to grow the business so that you can accrue wealth. Now, like, Yeah, that's why I want to work on the business. <laughs> <laughs> and you asked me, what do you, what do you do that makes you happy right and i listed everything and none of it is expensive right Mm -hmm. surfing is free once you have a surfboard hanging out with friends reading books eight dollars a book right video games video games (laughs) once you have the playstation though it's like 60 bucks for a game every now and then uh going on dates which is free or one drink you know it's like okay why do you want more money i go because i'm scared Mm -hmm. that one day i'll need it
3: Mm
1: -hmm. you're like well are you really willing to work today doing things that you don't really enjoy like marketing they're not charisma related right Right. so that you can make money so that maybe in your 40s or 50s if you need the money you won't have to just go earn it then Mm -hmm. and i again yes (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's interesting because that is it's not even a unspoken thought it's just a legit thought of like I don't know why I need this, but there's a fear that I will need it one day. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to do stuff I don't enjoy to get it. Yeah. Uh, which is just fascinating because we're saying people might not realize it, but it's explicit and it's still there for me. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'm will i down for <laughs> for doing that. So, yeah, and, and after
2: our conversation, I was like, as long as you sit here and, and you say yes to all of these yeah, things, yeah. And these are oh, the fact, I think, no no
1: Sorry. I, I think the interesting thing is that the answer is yes. Yeah. It's like, why is that answer? Yes. You mm-hmm. know, maybe I need to see a therapist. But I think for a lot of people, there's just this sense. It's like we all know that. Well, not maybe we don't all know, but there's a study that says that after 70 grand, money doesn't make you any happier. If you make mm-hmm. 30 grand and you can get up to 70, yeah, go for that. Yeah. That's going to be a stress relieving experience for you. And also dependent upon the city that you live in, right? So
2: this is a gross average. average. If you live in New York City and you're in Manhattan, Maybe it could be 85. higher than that. Yeah. But that study, which now we all know, is— Also a family unrelated, right? That's a single
1: person. If you have a family, it can be different. But yeah. go ahead. But so you're a single person and you do make seventy five grand a year. You should put no effort into making more money. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people do have this sense of what if I need more later? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm projecting. It's not for me about buying a boat. It's this fear of a medical emergency, a child in 10 years, whatever it might be. And then there's this willingness to sacrifice a little bit today out of this vague fear. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's interesting. Well, and it's also
2: interesting that if it were... Let's put it this way: a purely, and of course, nothing is a purely rational fear. You would expect to find it evenly distributed amongst the population, but you compared- or it would have a number. It would have a number tied to it. That yes. fear would be assuaged yes. by at, a certain
1: number at 100 grand a hundred grand. Yes, year. yes, and it's not and it's, it's no if you make 50 that fear <laughs> you think is going to be assuaged at 70 and yeah, if you make yeah. 70 you think at 90 and yes. if you make 90 then at 120 surely you wouldn't stress anymore
2: and so this this is the tony robbins quote that i i think i most hate which is if you're not growing you're dying yeah and well you know my response yeah even if you're growing you're dying you're dying and and there's this both in the system as a whole which is the system of capitalism and in our own individual lives which fuels the system there is a belief that never-ending growth especially even financially is desirable now there's a huge swath of the world and americans for whom and this is important growth is going to make a significant difference it's going to put food on your table uh shelter over your head it with your tire blows up you can replace it on your car and get to work right that's i'm not trying to, to say anything for that no they know the number on average yeah. 70 grand but yeah, once you get beyond that on a per person thing, depending on your city, I don't see the growth impetus slow. And if anything, I see it speed up relative because the numbers, once you have a certain amount of money and you've learned how to run a business, it can become even easier to grow it by 10%, 15%, 20%. And it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It it never goes away. And I, I think often that what what's something that, that just grows 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 it's not people can you imagine if your height just grew forever yeah, yeah. you would die the only thing that grows uninhibited is cancer and then it doesn't That's <laughs> and a then thing. it kills you cancer is <laughs> cancer looks like ninja it
1: grows a lot but then you die and then the cancer has to die because it runs out of food uh, ninjas twitch stream and cancer have the same growth trajectory
2: <laughs> and and yeah i i don't know why people and I, th- I would like to talk to tony and he might say well i don't mean financially i might mean in some aspect of your life but i do think there's something to be said for going i no longer need to grow i am ready to for at least a period of time plateau and be yeah. and appreciate and express gratitude for the things that i have worked for and where i am now but it's so uh, it just doesn't happen, man. Yeah. It, I, it's, it's, it seriously takes a lot of personal control and
1: training to even get there for a few moments a day. Yeah. yeah. I also thought that conversation was interesting. It's interesting what different people like and dislike. Mm-hmm. I I thought that was interesting because for you, you had said that you don't like when you're working on something that's not challenging or mm-hmm. that's not, that's not challenging your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I really don't mind that at times. What I don't like are deadlines. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because obviously our, our entire behavior and decision making and plans for the business and for ourselves are really at the end of the day informed by just a few things that bug us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you are doing something that bores you, it bugs you. Mm-hmm. And so your entire plan for Charisma on Command and your life is designed to avoid boring work. Mm-hmm. And I don't like deadlines. <laughs> so my entire plan for the business and life and all of my actions are informed by the fact that I'm willing to do something that's uninteresting if I can do it at my leisure. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that's really, I think, a useful thing to know. And I hadn't nailed that down until we talked about it yesterday. So for for everyone, I think knowing what creates unhappiness in your life is a really valuable tool. Because if I took your, you're smart. I admire you in a lot of ways. Oh, thank you, Pam. It's true.
2: I admire you too. If I
1: (laughs) tried to use your decision-making rules for myself, Mm. I'd be miserable. Yeah. I'd be doing really interesting work on weekly deadlines and i'd hate myself and you'd be stressed yeah. and if you did happen to admire parts of my life or my work ethic or whatever and go oh i'm gonna try to be like ben and make decisions like ben you would be leisurely bored and miserable for the entire time you're doing it yeah you know so i think it's something no one really ever tells you that in school they say oh play to your strengths yeah no one ever says figure out what makes you miserable and, ab- and, and don't that. do that thing you know yeah, and I did, four, I did four years of high school four years of college four years in the workplace before starting this business and not one person in those 12 years said you should probably codify what makes you the most miserable you know what's funny is is some of my
2: biggest happiness breakthroughs in life certainly I'm, I'm learning a lot of them are internal a lot of them mm-hmm. are perspective shifts but a lot of them are removing the negative uh yeah. it was not having to wake up to an alarm was huge not having to put on a suit was huge uh various friends of mine have dated women that (laughs) that i did not get along with and when they broke up that was huge right uh and i'm sure whoever
1: those guys are they're sorry (laughs) i'm i'm i speak for them Uh, although i am surely not them (laughs) but they're
2: sorry so you actually made me think of something this this is a personal we've been very up in the philosophical philosophical uh you'd mentioned earlier that people think we're the same and it might be fun to just go through the ways in which you and i are not the same sure <laughs> so the one that occurs to me and i thought about this the other day is that blue eyes first brown you're you are <laughs> about 40 pounds more muscle than i have <laughs> now, what were you gonna say <laughs> no i was gonna say that you can you can work at a stretch so long on the same thing and i quit i take breaks i walk away you did investment banking, at, which in my understanding was a high level of attention to detail for hour long stretches at a time, mm-hmm. day in and day out. And I would not have made it a day. Yeah. I, I couldn't have done that. Not only, even, even if my will was there, my attention span breaks and I, and I lose the
1: details so, so quickly. Yeah. Uh, no, and weirdly <laughs> enough, I actually was happy, even though I hated my job. Yeah. I think that's my superpower. <laughs> I can spend yeah. eight hours a day doing something I hate but weirdly think I have a good life.
2: Yeah. Another thing, and I I haven't thought of these beforehand, but this is just having known you. You are willing to take intense short-term pain (laughs) for uh, extended long-term results. So like uh, the training to be an MMA fighter, you're like, for the rest of my life, I will be a 1-0 fighter if I do this horrible experience of fight camp and cutting and then having to potentially get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds more impressive if you just say undefeated, though. Undefeated. Undefeated cage We don't yeah. have to say it. You'll it. have done it. And and with all these things, we even do hypothetical, like, would you do X, Y, or Z? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's only six weeks of agonizing pain? And then afterwards, I'm better in some way? Yeah. yeah I would do it. And I, and I am... I run from pain. Yeah. I, I do not stomach physical pain at all. And so if something hurts, I'm just like, I'm out. I, I yeah. tap. I'd rather suffer in a low order way for the rest of my life than, than do this
1: physically painful thing. Yeah. I think it's because my dad's a hockey player. Yeah. Seriously. It just, you no pain, no gain. It was like a <laughs> real thing. It wasn't said facetiously. Yeah. What else? Any other ones come to your mind? Yeah. Yeah. Well, something I had to actually, I guess, own. You know, I think knowing your strengths and knowing your weaknesses is really important, especially when you're business partners. I think we're similarly intelligent. And so for a while, I was like, oh, yeah, same strengths, same weaknesses. And this this happened this week. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm much more of a follow the instructions well mm-hmm. kind of person. And you think so much more out of the box. And so we're trying to figure out who should do what. And we were like, who should focus on the podcast? And it, it's so obviously you because you are – Creative. You can look at something besides how did other podcasts grow, and implement them on our business. You can take something you see in not that you would, but like your dad's chemical company mm. or box company, and yeah, yeah. and apply it to us. And if I had to grow the podcast, the best thing we could do is find a world class course on yep. it that had step by step instructions, and I it. would do every single step, and I would probably do it at an A level. Yeah, but I wouldn't do anything that wasn't in the course. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah weirdly enough we've worked together for 6 or 7 years. That's the first time I had that realization. It's funny cuz I mean and I I haven't thought about
2: it intensely but if you look at you went to one of the best schools in the country and then transferred to the best business school in the country which is Wharton and then you got the number one firm afterwards coming out. And you like you, like you when handed the Road rubric map. yeah and and the, the things to get there you're like okay I will choose the highest hardest path and I'll, and just tell me what to do yeah. and and you will execute on that. And yeah, I went to the school that gave me a scholarship and then I took, I studied philosophy and then I studied business and then I went to Costa Rica and then I went yeah. to Spain. And predictably, <laughs> when we both
1: moved to Brazil and had no income, yeah. I was the one that had a breakdown <laughs> because I had no rubric. And you were like, this is fine, dude. I'm going to the beach. It's like, we, we make no money. You're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to the beach. And I was like sitting in our Airbnb. Panicked,
2: Yeah. You know, and that's predictable in hindsight. The other thing which relates to our business is you are definitely more social than I am. Hmm. Uh, we've talked about this. You're extroverted. I'm, I'm more introverted. And, th- you know, it works for our business because I have to learn a lot of the things that I wind up teaching. Right. But you text friends. Happy birthdays. What are you up to? Let's get lunch. And because I know you, I go to some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were to just disappear uh not because i don't love them and not because i'm not happy when they're there my contact with other people <laughs> would just
4: plummet just your it would dogs. be
2: it would be people who are physically present in yeah. my life i i do not reach out in the same way that you do uh which is why and i think we've been talking about business strengths we're talking about
1: moving you to a networking only position yeah, yeah. Which well, is. it's, it's interesting, you, you, I mean, I think this is a good question for for everyone, and it's kind of advice that people have said before, but we have been asking what is the biggest lever in our business, which I think other people can, I'm trying to make this applicable to other people yeah, besides yeah. us, it's a fun conversation for me, but it's like, what we had been thinking is, okay, what's the number one thing that would grow the business if yeah. someone did it, Yeah, and then we've been putting me on that, because you've been doing content creation, yeah. you know, at a world-class level. The thing is i'm not world-class at the things we've been putting me on and so Mm -hmm. what we're getting is mediocre results in high leverage situations Mm -hmm. that's not always bad but i think for the first time in like two years we asked what would ben be equivalently good at Mm -hmm. as charlie is at youtube and what if he did that and even if it's not the highest leverage thing on paper what if his goal was to go befriend brilliant people mm-hmm. who could maybe one day be helpful. And maybe it won't work. Maybe in a year we'll get on the podcast. we we'll go, that was a stupid idea. We have a lot of cool friends, guys. <laughs> <laughs> ben should have been focused on YouTube ads. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's an interesting question that other people could ask too. And I think this there's a, there's a phase in everyone's life where things make sense. Yeah. we talked about this in your 20s, focusing on making more money, being in better shape, getting better with people makes total sense. And then maybe later in life, you focus on the internal. I think similarly at first, I wouldn't play to your strengths because you don't know what your strengths are. Charisma was not a strength of mine at 19. Yeah. I've made it a strength and I love it. And now I can be have interactions with people that go well and it's fun for me. But I do think at some point, and 32 seems like a good enough time to do it, <laughs> you go, okay, let's assume, even though this isn't true, that these are your strengths and weaknesses now. Yeah. So you spent your 20s building skill sets and discovering what you like. That was your exploratory phase. Now in your 30s, pretend that that's set in stone and play to your strengths. And I actually think we'll see, but that seems like a good way to do it. And it marries, you know, we always talk about truisms Yeah, yeah, are always different. Like look before you leave. How do they tie? Fortune favors the bowl. Well, you I've heard this play to your strengths, but in my own life, I've seen all of my success comes from being interested in charisma while being uncharismatic. Yeah. So maybe the answer is that for a period of time, don't focus on your strengths, focus on what you want to be strong at. Mm -hmm. And then at some point go, okay, now that you have strengths you like, focus on those. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. but Maybe and, that's and how those
2: truisms. As long as that phase ends, because right, it's not 30s to the end of time. It's at some point go okay. Pretend again that you're completely malleable and can learn yeah, other yeah. things. That way you don't. You're not done at 30. Uh, but the other thing that I do think bridges those is do what you're interested in. Yeah. Uh, because that you will do well if you are. And you know, I've, I've, a lot of our friends have started business and what has worked, what hasn't. A really uh, an ability to stick with it and persistence yeah, yeah. is weirdly enough highly
1: predictive in our our small friend group of success yeah that's the only reason i think this podcast might be successful is because you're because i care yeah if you were like i'm doing this because i think it's a good business idea but it bores me i'd say we should shut it down mm-hmm. but i think the only thing that might make it successful is the fact that you're really intelligent and you are like it no thank you i Um, feel i feel so flattered today no no let (laughs) me say it's true like if if neither of us had an interest in podcasting we should shut this down because a podcast is not an innovative new brilliant idea Mm -hmm. there's a hundred thousand of them uh it's only going to be successful if it's fun and interesting and you like yeah spending your free time thinking
2: about it so so we i actually looked at our demographics because i'm interested in this stuff and we have a lot of uh a lot of eighteen to twenty-four, and then twenty-four to thirty-some is our is our biggest thing. So these people are in that. Most of whom are in that first phase. And so what I would recommend, if you are in that first phase, is this: What are you interested in? Mm-hmm. Now you can draw can you can draw a Venn diagram of what is there a need for? What are what are other people interested in? And you know how can I relate if if I'm personally interested in something that i don't know i like to i see that you have a fruit tray i like to count the numbers of fruit in fruit trays and people just do not care about yeah. that write more interest out until you find something that has some overlap but having seen my friends who sometimes just try to uh get rich quick not necessarily yeah. in an unethical way just looking for okay what's the business model that's gonna that's gonna break through this year it's not dictated
1: it oh this this makes me think of a of a something that will be useful to the people who want to be entrepreneurs i think that's Mm -hmm. not a small part of our audience people who want to start businesses most of the people i see that are successful don't make a ton of money in the early years but they are willing to keep doing it because they're either super passionate about the idea or they like the work Mm -hmm. if i think of the people who have tried to buy basically get rich quick scheme advice they go to i'm gonna i'm gonna import things from China that I don't care about to try to make money on this arbitrage margin of buying for cheap, selling for more expensive on Amazon or whatever. They run into hiccups and then they just want to shut it down because it's not fun. Mm -hmm. But I think of all the people that are successful and they were willing to keep going despite the fact that it wasn't immediately making them rich. So Mm -hmm. even if your only goal is money, I would say find an interest outside of money to help you make that money. Mm Because yeah, even I if
2: it's a product from China that you like that you're passionate you oh, want to yeah. get out of No, I know a guy who people. makes a ton
1: yeah. of money selling ghillie suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one would have thought that's like a brilliant yeah, thing. Yeah. He just likes ghillie suits and he makes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who just buy whatever's trending, they don't necessarily do more than make money for a couple months. Yeah. So yeah. Weirdly enough, I thought there was this thing of do you pursue a passion or do you try to pursue a more sound economic decision? Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, they're the same thing. You have to pursue a passion because I don't know anyone who's successful doing something that they're completely disinterested in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, and if you guys are interested, we can do a longer episode.
2: We shot one, but we, didn't re- we realized we didn't know where you all were coming from with your interest in Charisma on Command as a business. So if you're interested in this topic of the story of Charisma on Command business advice, we've been doing this for six, seven years. We have learned a ton. If it's of interest to you, say so in the comments. And let us know whatever particular questions that you have because we
1: could. it's seven years. Let's we could talk it. in a hundred different angles about this. Do you want to make it mostly question? I think that actually would be the most interesting. Yeah. Mostly question driven. Perhaps rather so than just say, telling the story. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. So rather than us guess what's interesting, I would say just if you have any question about Charisma on Command, the business or the story or started, the last seven years. Mindsets. All what of it, yeah, did, yeah. Why Brazil? Whatever it is. Write that under this episode in the comments and we'll try to accrue those and angel try to put them in like a chronology so, so we're not bouncing sense. all over the place yeah. so whoever asks about early Life. how we came up with our first yeah. business idea that would be the first question and then if someone has a question about the last six months or going forward we'll do that last sure that way it's at least interesting to people because mm-hmm. i mean it's seven years of our lives we could talk forever and i yeah. want to make it something people want to yeah hear. One last thing to consider. So we've talked about Venn diagrams a
2: bit. You've got your interests, which are critical. And then you've got market need, which is, I would Mm -hmm. say, also critical to a successful business. The last one that I would consider, as I've sort of really reviewed just my small circle to see what has worked, has been industry. Uh, Because there are people that have worked hard on something that they're really interested in, that the market needed, but what they didn't account for is that, The writing was on the wall that this particular industry was not going to exist in five or ten years. And if you are in, you know, they say a rising tide raises all boats. If you're in an ocean that's about to hit (laughs) the bedrock, there's nothing you can do if you're in the wrong industry. So those would be probably the three most important uh, checks for any business idea that I would start to run then, of course pre-sell it and all that kind of stuff with <clears throat> talk in the business episode yeah. but that's that so there's one other thing that i wanted to touch on all right i have later. a dentist appointment in 25 minutes <laughs> so we have a hard stop around then. just as a warning got it got it uh sorry everyone ben has to go to the I dentist did, when i made this appointment <laughs> three months ago or
1: whatever we didn't have thursday podcasts so going forward this won't happen so this one and if you're not interested,
2: you just tell me. I, it's also from this book. It's called The Ecology of Commerce. I, I'm only 10%, 20% in. But this book was written in the 90s. And I'm, I bought it because I'm interested in the environment and uh, the effects of business on the environment mm-hmm. while it happens. But I see that there's a problem in a lot of literature on the environment is that when you make a prediction in 1990 about what's going to happen 30 to 50 years from now and it doesn't come true. You lose credibility, mm. which is not good. Mm. And I would advise uh, anyone who's in this field to be very cautious of predictions because I am someone who is interested in this. And there were uh, – when we're going to run out of oil was was mm. one of them. This was uh, – in, in grade school, we were supposed to run out of oil at a certain point, and, and we have not as we approach that point, come anywhere close to
1: hitting that. Now it's yeah. in another 30 or 50 years. It's because people underestimate technology, right? They, they think technology is going to be linear, but it's always exponential? Y-
2: yes. I think there's a lot of reasons that go into why anyone would do that. But yeah, this is Thomas Malthus in the 1700s, said that we're running out of grazing land for the cattle. We'll never have enough. People are going to starve to death, and, and technology can account for that. Now, this... Malthusian defense is often to say hey the earth is infinite. Don't worry. We always solve problems We're always going to figure it out, and Mm. I don't necessarily think that's true either Mm. Uh, I think that what we kind of have on planet earth as I'm reading this book is a huge mansion that was built so far before we ever came into it and it's got all these different rooms and we're just going through one room and we mess it up <laughs> you know and we, whatever there's another room we just go mess that room up and and there's more rooms than we'd ever thought possible but it's not infinite yeah. and i think that is a stronger point to make which is this is your home you would not trash your home and then just have a section of your home which is tr- you know just trash all the time you take out the trash you put it somewhere else you do something with it you you clean up after yourself for me that that is the environmental message that that seems to be more philosophically sound than yeah. any of these particular predictions which the, the ozone was a huge thing when we were growing up and it can't be recovered and now we're seeing that the ozone is starting to come back yeah and I think it hurts
1: well-intentioned people uh, when they're trying to persuade people who are unsure yeah I agree with you. I will defend environmentalists a little bit. The ozone is only coming back because certain things were yes. banned by governments. Absolutely, which is and kind of cool. That's great because you go, okay, we had this problem. It was going to be a huge problem. Governments got together. They banned certain chemicals and things from being released into the world. The air is all stuff. Yeah, and now it's repairing itself. That is a phenomenal. Great point. Yeah,
2: that is a great point, and and not to be discounted, which is uh, changes were made because there was this uh people cared enough and they were potentially afraid of a catastrophic yep. cataclysmic thing and then they changed their behavior and things got better but I'm not I'm not far enough into the book to to comment much more on that but there, just some of the early predictive things from the 90s I was like oh man this hasn't panned out and yeah. I, and 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 as someone who's interested, you're losing me in chapter one. Don't I do a, that to me. I read a branding
1: book that was written right when the internet came out oh, and it's gosh. so wrong. and so <laughs> new. It's like, it's like Starbucks' success is because they only focus on coffee. Yeah. While every other coffee shop is foolishly selling breakfast foods, yeah. they focus on excellence in one area and so should you. And I'm like, Okay, but it's 2019 now, and it's 29 years uh, later, and Starbucks sells everything. Have you
2: ever heard of Disney? They sell beer. I, this <laughs> right. was So you was uh, the 21 laws of branding or 22 immutable laws of branding? Is yeah. Is that the one? So they talk about this has always bothered me because I believed them for a long time. Branding or marketing? Either one. They talk about the law of product extension. Got it. Right? And they say, if you make Harley-Davidson's, you got to make Harley-Davidson's. You got to yeah. do this. You got to do this. Uh, that is not what... Pokemon, right? Yeah, but they made his Pokemon, but then they made a Pokemon uh, keychain. Then they made a Pokemon this. Then they made a Pokemon app. Then they made a Pokemon, yeah. Pokemon movie. Pokemon, like, you can do everything. Sure. Harley-Davidson t-shirts, Harley-Davidson tattoos, Harley-Davidson. They were wrong about yeah. the product extension thing. Disney perhaps being the best example of a company that is in everything. And they put their name on just about everything yeah. that they do. So this is a technical business complaint, but I do –
1: I feel gypped yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by that particular no, well, law. It just, uh, yeah, just, it's, it's always I – mean, there's no real takeaway except for it's funny when somebody codifies their prediction for 30 years down the road. Because... I
2: respect when they do that, though. I wish I, – I really want – you said your buddy wanted to make a accountability. – Accountability.com. Accountability.com, which would take pundit predictions from everything from sports to, to the climate to news uh, to politics, and it would – Let everybody have a track record of what they predicted, who would win the election, who would win the game. And you could see, and this would be amazing, and I would love this for myself and others, to really check how often anyone's predictions come true. And if there are a handful of people that are on there that rise to the top, they absolutely ought to be paid more attention to uh, or or at least given greater scrutiny than – the rest of us but like <laughs> we talked about myself. people
1: just like to be enraged there's sports personalities yeah that are know. specifically famous because people don't like them yeah and so they put them on these talk shows where it's someone that's more relatable more like the audience and then someone that's just kind of a dick or takes outlandish hot takes yeah and people will watch it and then hit up twitter and social media be like i can't believe he said this and that actually weirdly enough guarantees that person a job yeah you by sharing how much you hate them you've given them a raise one thing that I tried to do is I started I kept a prediction spreadsheet and it
2: it is illuminating because because I'm wrong so often yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it and it uh, makes me limit my predictions but it does make me make better predictions I often I have gotten
1: better at them well, over the, over time yeah one thing I really like that I've started doing internally that helps it helps that we're not great at future predicting as humans because we're very emotional mm-hmm. you started a habit of whenever someone would make say something like oh dude my business is going to double or like oh well we're going to be together for sure at at the end of the year or like oh no we're going to break up this month things aren't good you will just think and if you disagree you go do you want to (laughs) bet and you watch people walk it back like oh man things are really tough with the girlfriend like i i don't think we'll make it out the week but this is someone whose relationship just always goes up and down you go i'll put a thousand bucks on it (laughs) no 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 i'll put 50 bucks on it And you watch them. They have to get out of that emotional state of thinking of panic. The sky is falling. We're going to break up because I'm feeling sad. Yeah. And they have to go into the rational because money's online. They go, do I actually think we're going to break up? No. Mm -hmm. Not even close. Not enough to put 50 bucks on it. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. And I've started actually asking myself that same question before I speak. So I was talking to your brother about something. And I was about to say, dude, it's never going to happen. And I I went... If i didn't put money on, <laughs> I actually would bet that i fold on this and i end up doing this yep. thing and so i didn't and i think that's really useful for everyone as a as a way to bring yourself back to reality and get a little less emotionally frazzled about your future predictions yeah. you know is, what i mean this is an Nassim talib rule
2: i think one of the best that he's done which is skin in the game uh you need to demand that your consultants, pundits, whatever, have skin in the game. Mm. And money is one way to get it because talk is cheap. And like you said, as soon as soon as people are asked to put up
1: any money, you see a complete shift in their decision-making criteria. And what I'm saying is you can unfrazzle yourself. Yeah. If you're in a bad spot with something or you feel like you're emotional or you're trying to take a guess on your relationship or your job or this and you're that, instead of thinking in that skies falling way, think to yourself, okay— What would I bet on, Mm -hmm. you know? And if someone else, if a friend of yours is panicking about something, oh my God, I'm going to get, remember we were, we were at a a spa and this woman had accidentally sent an email to her boss that created the word because she meant to send, sorry, Angela, you got to bleep that. Uh, (laughs) She she meant to send it to a friend and she sent it to her boss. She goes, I'm going to get fired. And she was panicking. And if she were a closer friend of mine, I go, I'll bet you a thousand dollars you don't get fired. Yeah. And she would not, she'd know she's not going to get fired, but it would snap her out of that panic. And, and she could down. actually live her day yeah. without being stressed instead of being stressed for two days before finding out, yeah, no, duh, you're not getting fired. Yeah, you can help people, in short, yeah. when, they're, when they're in panicked emotional
2: states by forcing them back to this more rational consideration. Yeah. But let's do a question or two before you got to run to your
4: dentist. Sure. Uh, this one's kind of long, but I, I like it. So uh, stick with it. It comes from Sarah. Angel goes
1: so rogue. I love it. <laughs>
4: What do you mean? Sorry. just You got it. You got it. <laughs> um, uh, some people were nice to me in the comments. I got a big head. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so Sarah asks, we often hear Charlie and Ben referring to their evolution of thinking around subjects or ways of interacting with the world. In this last episode, it came up a few times, like Charlie's interpretation of the corporation or Ben's sarcasm. I'm wondering how you guys reconcile your changing opinions given the amount of recorded content <laughs> that people are still sourcing. This week, I've had a handful of people repeat back to me something I said that left a strong impression on them from some years ago. While their feedback was that the impacts were positive, hearing that my old opinions are still in heavy rotation left me feeling uncomfortable. Um, Not sure if it's because of the self-consciousness around what sort of wake I cut, or if it's more about the version of me that is trapped in people's minds. Do you ever have mixed feelings about how your old advice and opinions are circulating? If so, how do I make peace with it? A hundred percent. I mean, so I'm, I'm more recorded than you. I would, I would dare say.
2: Oh yeah. My only regret is not wearing a mask on this podcast. (laughs) So I am 100% certain that there are videos out there with, that I would, of my own, that I would no longer agree with, or I would think told half of the story and that there was an important part that I left out. Uh, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind is I used to think that relationships were everything. And I said it often, and I believed it, and I thought that was going to be true forever. And the biggest change in the last three years is that I go, only if we include the relationship with yourself I was in, that, in that. Because it, for me, it was all about connecting to people and who you know and your potential wife or husband, boss, etc. And I feel so much more that it's the internal. So I struggle with this. Now, I will admit that I am tempted, like you probably, to take ownership over everything that people get valuable from me two years ago, me three years ago. And certainly I do receive financial royalties from all of these things. But from a philosophical perspective, if I want to be able to be honest and dissociate myself from the things which I don't agree with, I have to also recognize that I'm not the person who said all of those things that people like anymore. So from a philosophical perspective, weirdly enough... That's not me. (laughs) That person is gone and dead. And if you really want to hone in, the person who started this sentence is gone and dead. (laughs) So from a a spiritual perspective, try to stay in the now. From a practical perspective, any more than a few months ago, it's highly likely that I would do it different, stand in a different opinion. And that doesn't mean that I'm right today. It just means that I have to recognize that – uh, this persisting idea of an identity of a Charlie Hooper that was the same then that he is now, despite the fact that all my cells, ideas, you know, many things have been recycled and changed, is just not the case. And so I don't deserve all of the praise. And for mistakes that I've made, I deserve forgiveness. is, is kind of my feeling.
1: Do you have any? No, I mean, it's it's definitely something I think about. Certainly on a personal level, I'm very comfortable with the fact that I've changed. Like, I don't feel any personal angst about that I actually like that that's growth right Mm -hmm. now the question is can somebody find something that I say today 10 years from now that I disagree with Mm -hmm. and then bring it up in a scandal and make me look bad probably (laughs) when I'm 42 yeah sure what do you do about that I don't have a great answer sure I think all I can do is try to be true to myself today that's the one thing is I don't want to go down for something that I don't even believe now yeah and so there's this I don't even know what to call it this philosophical belief that all right I'm, if i'm going to go down for something i'll try to believe what i'm saying you know and so i can so i can it, yeah. censor myself from saying crazy inflammatory things but whatever i do say i want to believe i don't want to try to give the right answer mm-hmm. because that would suck to go down for something you didn't even mm-hmm. believe <laughs> because we were trying to present a certain persona yeah and so yeah that's literally the only defense i've come up with and then what i think'll happen when i'm 42 or tomorrow or whenever this happens is i'll just go yeah at that age, I thought that was a good thing to say, yeah. and it was meant to be helpful, and I do always come from a place of trying to, to be helpful and thoughtful. You know, I, I like to think that I have good values, and so to the extent that I look back in time and regret something, it was a mistake, mm-hmm. you know? It was like a well-intentioned whoopsie, yeah. and so it's going to suck, I'm sure, but that's that's all I can do, I think. It's just yeah. be like, all right, try to be try to believe what you say now, and then... If 10 years from now you regret it, at least you can go, yeah, that's just – it was a different time in my life. Sure, know? sure. Yeah, the other so, – I mean
2: it, there's a couple things that I think about. One is that I do try to come to these podcasts where I know that we're talking off the cuff in a calm mood. Yeah. You know, so like – I might be angry before I come on here, and uh, I could be immortalized as an angry hot take, and it's gonna happen, right? With these podcasts, you're gonna catch me. Right, I've already, something that'll incense you. I've already been frustrated by you know. There's a New York Times article that I think I went too hard at. That doesn't represent the entirety of my my feelings on it. And, and sometimes you check me and go, you know, technology is good too. And I go, yes, thank you, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> that also represents what I think. Yeah. Uh, but what I what that makes me realize and. Part of the issue is that the ego wants to identify with anything that builds it up. And so we like to take credit for our past accomplishments. We're so eager to be, you know, I'm the guy who did that. I'm the girl who did that. You know, Ben won his cage fight and, uh, you know, I made these videos that are helpful to people. But the flip side of that, which because, of course, that's not true, you are no longer that person, is that when you're confronted with something that you don't agree with or that you did was bad and you want uh, absolution, forgiveness... Uh, or to have moved on past that. So what I try to recognize, particularly online, is that no one knows me. Uh, no one knows all facets of my life or even critical facets of my life, what it is like when the camera is turned off, right? I am, I am not exactly the same as I am on camera. I swear, for instance, far more. I'm, I'm more, la- more likely to give a hot take than I am when I'm on camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a facet of my personality. So, what I try to recognize is that in both praise and in criticism, it is a facet of me. It is a piece of me, but it is not me in my entirety. Plus, it's a piece of me filtered through that other person's lens. So, it, it, I, I have been divorcing myself in an increasing way from uh, the flattery and the praise that I get, especially from people on the internet, as well as. Uh, some of the criticisms that said i do try to take criticisms of ideas that i may still hold Mm. seriously and incorporate them and challenge my own ideas so that they may change uh but personal statements man the person charlie from from last year is he's gone man (laughs) i i I don't know what to tell you yeah identity is a is an illusion
4: (laughs) what else do we have we have another question from kai uh, he asks, why do I focus so much on the people who dislike me and the negative interactions I have when meeting new people? Mm. I focus so much on bad interactions uh, that it makes me internalize a lot. Any yeah. advice? Well, well I, the reason so, – oh, no, go ahead. I was just – on that last thought, I was going
2: to say thats it was a fantastic question. And if we had more time, you didn't have to go. It makes me think of the, uh, the jail system that we have, which – obviously has a lot of things that you want to do you want to put dangerous people in jail but you wind up with people who were 19 when they committed a horrendous crime being 49 right 30 years later and who are you punishing at this point that person is 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 gone right so there's the the idea that identity is not as static as we would like it to be has a lot of
1: implications for how we might run some of our systems um but that was for the last question
2: that was for the last question
1: So for this, I mean, the first thing I'd say, you ask, why do you focus on the negative? Don't beat yourself up. That's how humans are programmed. Yeah. So I think unless my complete understanding of how human psyche evolved is off, that's because we used to have tribes. And when you had a 20 person tribe, if three people hated you, they might kill you in your sleep Mm -hmm. or they might kick you out of the tribe and then you can't survive. So don't beat yourself up. That's human nature, I think, to focus on the people that don't like you. At least until you build the muscle of doing something different so where you're at today is totally reasonable and it doesn't mean that you're screwed up that said i think you can work on adjusting to the new world mm-hmm. um but yeah you're, you're not in a bad place so that's the first thing i'd say about um, that And just to check was this question
2: uh i did because i was thinking of my other answer is this one about particularly online or in person did they say
4: um, i think it's in person it doesn't say specifically but i think in person because it does say um uh, when I'm interacting with people or when okay. I meet new people. Got it. Yeah. So first thing is
2: that I think there's a biological proclivity towards focusing on the negative. The, the oft-given example is that we see uh, if there's wind rustling in the bushes, we go, okay, that's probably a line, right? If somebody doesn't like us, we go, it's probably the worst case scenario so that we can address the threats to our livelihood uh, that's built into us. Then on top of that, there's a layer of personal history, which is you might have— parental things that that uh this reflects a scenario early in your life where you knew that you were a bad boy right or a bad girl and and you are prone to recognize that because it was a message that was given to you when you were little and you're looking in a, in a confirmation bias style to find that sort of thing so you're not going to unhuman yourself but what mm. you might do is unravel that second piece uh, and you can do this in a number of ways. You can do therapy. We have our course, Emotional Mastery. We rarely talk about it because we don't get a lot of questions like this. But uh, if you're interested, we'll put in a link to Emotional Mastery or or the email list wherever we wherever we sell it. Uh, but that's about unraveling childhood beliefs and experiences. In terms of what you can do today, Ben's point: don't beat yourself up on top of the beating yourself up that you're doing for this. It's completely totally normal. One exercise from emotional mastery which you can do that I would recommend just trying is the if-then exercise. So it looks briefly because I know you got to (laughs) go like this. You write down uh, the chain of if-then events that are causing you to feel this particular way. So you go, okay, if this person says that they don't like me, then they won't hang out with me. You know, if they don't hang out with me, then everyone else will see them not hanging out with me and think I'm a loser. If everyone thinks that I'm a loser, then I will be alone. If I am alone, then I will be unhappy. Whatever it is, it'll look something like that. And you wind up at, a, at the bottom, you wind up with an emotion. And then you go and you... Ask to every piece of that, is it true? How might it not be true? And what you'll find is that maybe one or two of these le- leaps are true, but the vast majority are not. And you find flaws at every single level in the implicit argument that you're building against yourself. And it's a cognitive behavioral therapy technique. It, it helps to sort of take the sting out of some of these negative
1: experiences. And yeah. I, would, I would
2: recommend that. Yeah.
1: And one other thing I'd say, I think, you know, theme of the podcast a little bit is this idea that, when you codify things or snap yourself out of emotional states, you realize that reality isn't quite what your emotional mm-hmm. uh, beliefs are. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're struggling because this particular person is making you feel a certain, way, I think that exercise is awesome. If in general you're just feeling badly because you're like, oh, I'm uncharismatic, I'm a loser, no one likes me, I would say you can codify every interaction you had that day because you might be thinking about this one person who doesn't like you and going, oh, f- Sorry, Angel. Um, <laughs> and and what you might do is like, okay, I woke up and I talked to a barista and she was neutral to positive. And yeah. then I talked to my friend Charlie and we had a great interaction. He seems to really like me. And then I talked, and you know, and for me, at least when I was in a fr- fraternity, there were 26 guys in my pledge class and two of them and I didn't have a great relationship. And that is where my headspace could go. It's like, oh, these guys don't like me. It's so stressful. But I just thought about it. I was like, I had 26 people in this blood class. I interacted with 10 of them today and eight of them went great that helps me to realize this isn't the end of the world that this one person doesn't like you and what and what you'll realize and you can also
2: expand sort of your imagination is you know this person looked at me funny that means you can you can take these questions apart yeah. wait a second does that mean that he doesn't like me or does that mean that he had an itch or does no. that mean that Well I'll he... <laughs> tell you spoiler
1: for this one person he's incredibly insecure and unhappy yeah and it, he didn't like me because he was angry all the time and needed an outlet for it. And me yeah. and him are fine now, yeah. you know, however many years later because mm-hmm. he's matured and gone past his insecurity and his inner rage. But at the time, he just would lash out at whoever's nearby. It's mm-hmm. all so like, oh, man, it's so weird. Should I blame myself? Why is this? Because he did have friends that he didn't do it to. But see, yeah. On the whole, the world is just a lashing for this guy because he grew up in a way that made him <laughs> yeah. miserable. Mm-hmm. And now that he's not like that, what do you know? Me and him can be in a room hanging out, have a good conversation. Yeah. And so. Um, yeah, I think this idea of of not necessarily ascribing, even if someone is a dick to you, it's not necessarily because Because of anything you you did.
2: The the leap that's being made in what this exercise, and there's many others that you can do, is that there was a particular behavior, which I assume meant a particular thing, which then means a particular outcome for me. Hmm. And at every stage in that, there are you're assuming the worst case scenario which is rarely the case like the look they gave you might not have been ascribed to the emotion the emotion that they had might not have been because of you it might be because you remind them of someone
1: in their past them disliking you genuinely disliking you might not be because you are whatever you're beating yourself up about it might be because they are jealous of you yeah or because they i don't know had someone in their life that tough beat day. them and like, yeah, well, no, yeah. I'm saying, let's say they hate you. say they hate Charlie Hooper. Yeah. Right. That's true. Oh, they looked at me funny because they don't like me. Okay. I'm going to assume that's true. They don't like me because I, Charlie Hooper have flaws. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And we can dive into that and you can use it as an, an opportunity for growth, but it could be because you look like their uncle who used to beat them. Mm-hmm. So even if they do dislike you, you don't, it's, it's not immediately the case that it's because you're evil or bad or wrong or a yeah. loser. You know, it could be because of any number of things that have nothing to do with you as you actually are. It's just you as the outlet they perceive you to be. This is why,
2: this is the reason that I used to believe that relationships are everything because my previous approach would have been to mend the relationship or get other relationships and my new approach is only if you include the relationship with yourself Mm -hmm. because ultimately your willingness to buy into whatever the belief that they are pushing on you about the way that you are is the best place to address this problem why am mm. i so prone to buy into a belief and by the way not just you this is humanity sure that i am wrong bad you know like what what is it inside of me that feels uh, ultimately unworthy and how come that is so easily triggered that's where i think tons and tons of life-changing growth can occur but of course charisma is important too
1: this is just the piece that i'm most fascinated with today mm-hmm. any other right. questions yeah, let's do one more angel and then save the rest for monday which is only in a couple few days, of days,
4: yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So I have a question from Ozzy. Uh, Ozzy says, "I'm a 23 year old and I've been dating several girls now through dating apps. I have no problem getting matches, but I have a t- hard time getting a second date." I either get ghosted or they give me the school's getting busy excuse when I get in touch with them after the first date. Hmm. I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong, and I hope you guys could discuss some of the habits men make on the first date that prevent them from getting a second date. This is so funny. <laughs> if you guys have your own personal experiences on that, that would be great as well. We have a video called Why
2: You Aren't Getting a Second Date. <laughs> it was one of the – the. Uh, I mean I don't think it's a great title, but my goodness. it's it's. I think it's going to fit you exactly. Uh what that it could be any number of things in your particular okay. case, but if they're showing up, there's probably an initial attraction. They're interested either in the way you look, or the, what you wrote, or the way that you texted. Uh, so there's three things that you're going to want to consider that this this video will take you through. The first is that initial level of interest, right? How is conversation flowing between you two? The second one is do they feel that you have standards for the people in your life? Or are you just someone who's just on these dating apps who is open to anyone? Because that makes no one feel special, yeah, yeah, right? that makes you a less attractive person for them. Uh-huh. And then the last one is if they see you as a romantic partner, if there's any intimate thing, right? If there's any sort of tension building between you, and that come down to uh, the lingering eye contact. It come down to, to a lingering hand touch or the way that you hug or you know, refuse to touch them at all over the course of the date, which leads them to think that this person is not even interested in me beyond any sort of platonic relationship. So why would I want to do it again? Uh, That video will help you sort of think through these and where you might not be showing up. Could be one, could be two, could be all three.
1: Any other things to add? No, I mean, I think this wouldn't be my only answer. But to the extent that you have a conversation with somebody that you thought was really good and you're really surprised by, you could ask. You mm-hmm. could say, "Hey, I thought we had a really great conversation. I totally respect that you don't want to see me. I'm just curious for myself, for my own growth. Yeah, like what what makes you feel that way? Because I that'll would, help you kind of. I would not expect an honest answer. Yeah. I
2: think that's a very. I, I would love a world in Especially which Especially 23. actually. yeah. yeah no if the one's women. Gonna... Yeah, if the women are 22. <laughs> I take that back. If you were if you were dating 30 year olds, I actually think you'd get a better answer. You might but... get it. You might. But it's tough to tough to be aware of that, and then even tougher perhaps yeah, to write fair. it down and say it. So, uh, hopefully that video will help though. I know you got to go to your dentist. Cool video. This podcast is sponsored by charisma university. We need to have a, I'll record a thing for charisma university. I'll read some testimonials. Thanks everybody. Appreciate you guys showing up. We'll see you in just a couple of days. Let us know if you liked the twice a week, or if you thought that it was worse quality because of that. And let us know about some of the business questions that you may have. Yeah, Yeah. Like that.
1: Definitely let us know about the business questions. Also, I feel like we went deep, on more personal stuff, I tried yeah. to make it relatable yeah. to other people, but I don't know. I hope people find it interesting. Let us know if that's, or we'll stop. Yeah, this yeah. is uh, again two Venn diagrams,
2: right? My interests and what you guys want. I'm interested in a lot of things, so let me know what you like that I'm doing, and I'm, I'll stop the rest. Yeah, we can stick it to just current events. And ben and, and, and I'll talk and about our personal questions. lives separately, yeah. <laughs> or if it's interesting, let us know. We can get we can talk more about it. Awesome. All right, thank you, everybody. Cheers. Peace. Cool.